right, well, want to uh, welcome everybody. Uh, those of you that are joining us physically and online, so glad to have you. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to find Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is where we're going to be today. And if this is your first time uh, to be with us, we are in week number four of a series of messages called Let's Talk About It. And uh, the big idea around this is that we all know that uh, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. I mean, how could you forget it? Everywhere we go in person and online, all anybody can ever talk about is case counts, mask wearing and vaccine distribution. However, there is another pandemic that is going on at the exact same time that isn't being talked about nearly enough. And we've said that it is the mental and emotional health Pandemic. Now, I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of statistics. I've already thrown so many of those at you already. Uh, please know, though, that this is affecting one out of two of us. That's either you or the person sitting next to you. That's either you or somebody that you know, love, and care for. It's a lot of people. But the, the deceiving thing about mental and emotional health is that when you're the one going through it, it feels like you're the only one. And it feels very isolating. And we're not quite sure that we can share it with other people. And unfortunately, there's a reason for that. There has oftentimes been a stigma that is associated with mental and emotional health. And I'm hoping we at least begin to change by talking about it. See, here's the thing is that when uh, one of us is suffering from a physical ailment of some kind, maybe it's a broken leg or maybe it's even a cancer diagnosis, uh, people have a tendency uh, to run in and will say things like, man, I'm so sorry. And I've, I've been through that before. And what can I do? And I'll be praying. But when we admit that maybe we're wrestling with a mental or an emotional health issue, unfortunately, people have a tendency to run away. And we're not exactly sure what to say or what to do or how to fix it. But we don't need to fix it. We need to feel it. And if you uh, are depleted mentally and emotionally, that is as real as a broken leg. And I just want to say something to you today is that uh, it is not a sin to be sick. See, here's what I know is that not all of us are going through the same thing, but everybody is going through something. And we can just kind of air out whatever it is that we're wrestling with and going through so that we can find some healing and some hope. In fact, 1 John 1, 1, it just promises us that if we can get that stuff out in the open, we have an advocate with God the Father through Jesus Christ who will receive us and bring healing and he can redeem every broken thing that is within us. Aren't you glad to hear that? Aren't you glad to know that? And so as uh, Pastor Ryan and I kind of began to put together this series, we built this series to help all of us be biblically informed about these issues, yet at the same time, be practically helpful. And one of the things that we want to do is we just want to help come alongside you in whatever issue that you might be struggling with. We want to help you and we want to help you help those you love. And so go to uh, this link. It's on our website, tpcc.org slash care. And there you're going to find just a whole bunch of very practical resources uh, as we come alongside you just to try to help you navigate uh, the very real issues of mental and emotional health. 
Now, I just want to say something to uh, somebody who might be uh, tuning in or maybe you showed up at one of our physical locations for the first time and, and you're just brand new to the church. Maybe you started joining us online when the pandemic hit and now you've just now uh, come physically. Can I just uh, tell you what kind of a church you walked into or tuned into? All right. Um, this I've been here for nearly 14 years. The people at Traders Point are some of the kindest gracious, most encouraging, generous people that I have ever met. I mean, I, I love this church. And yet with that said, uh, and those of you that are part of our Traders Point family, I, I want you to clap when I say this so that way everybody knows you're in agreement and I'm not just picking on you, all right? We are also some of the most jacked up people you'll ever find, all right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that true? Just give each other an air high five. I mean, that's just like... It's like, yeah, we, we've got our sins and our struggles and we can be moody at times and, and, and we, we are, are uh, works in progress. We're all in process and you're in good company with the men and the women that are found in the Bible because they had their struggles just like you and me. And God in his goodness, compassion and grace, he included their unfiltered, messy stories so that you and I would know that we are not alone. You are not alone. And there is nothing uh, abnormal about you and what it, you're walking through is common to, to so many people. And you have a heavenly father who loves you right where you are. Listen to me, just as you are. Mess, imperfections and all. And yet, here's the even better news. He refuses to leave you there. He loves you so much. He wants to get in there and he wants to help process some things in your heart and give you a new heart and a new identity in Christ so that you can find healing and hope. So let's talk about it. And so, so far in this series, if you've missed it, we've talked about anger, addiction, and anxiety. You can go back on our website or the app or on YouTube and get all those messages. Today, uh, we're gonna talk about depression. And since the pandemic started roughly a year ago, the symptoms of depression among us nationally, and I would imagine this is probably true globally, have tripled. And that's not very surprising to me. Uh, whenever it comes to depression though, there is a wide spectrum of experiences and emotions that I think we have to be um, very clear about. In fact, I think that uh, the subject of depression might be one of the most misunderstood out of all the topics that we're talking about in this series. And here's what I mean. Um, to uh, feel depressed about something is just normal for most human beings. I think all of us know what it feels like to receive some bad news of some kind and to feel depressed about it. So if your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you, that's depressing. If you didn't get the job that you really wanted and you interviewed for, that's depressing. Uh, these long, gloomy, dark winter days, depressing. You know, most years when you're a Cubs fan, Depressing, right? But that doesn't mean that you're clinically depressed. That doesn't mean that you necessarily like need the help of therapy or maybe medication. I think feelings of melancholy, like that's just part of the normal human experience. Well, what I want to talk about today is depression is way more than just a bad case of the blues. So that way we are all on the same page. I want to show you how the Mayo Clinic defines it. It says depression is a mood disorder, pay attention to that word, that causes a persistent, that's another word I want you to notice, feeling of sadness and loss of interest. So it is a, 
uh, disorder. Now, uh, you and I are very, very complex emotional and spiritual beings. There is a certain order to the way that we are put together. And when we go through a loss, a trauma, or an abuse of some kind, something gets in there and it disrupts things, throwing them out of order, affecting how you feel, think, and behave. Might even cause you to uh, withdraw from day-to-day activities. And in your darker moments, make you wonder if life is really worth living. And when you are in the grips of depression, it feels as if it will never lift, that you'll never be able to get out of it. I remember several years ago, our family went on vacation to the beach and there was all these signs that were warning of the uh, strong undercurrent. And they just said, swim at your own risk, be be careful. And and of course, you know, I was just like, ah, that doesn't apply to me. And I went out and I got a little too far out and I could feel the current pulling me out. And at first I got a little nervous and then I started to get a little more, ner- more nervous and I'm starting to swim a little harder and I'm noticing that I'm not making very much progress to get back to the shore. Now, here's the thing about it is that uh, I could see everybody. I could see my family on the beach having a good time. Like they were just right there, just not that far away, but I was kind of in the grips of the undercurrent and it was scary. And you know, depression can feel a little bit like that. You're watching everybody else's life and it looks like they're having a great time on the beach. And it's just like right there. But no matter how hard you swim, you just, it doesn't feel as if depression's ever gonna let you go. Now I want you to know today that there is hope. And I want you to know today that you can get there. Now I have built this message to be very practical. And the reason why is because a drowning person doesn't need to know the Greek word for lifesaver. They just need you to throw them one. And so today I want to look at Psalm 42. And so hopefully I've given you enough time to to find that chapter. And I want you to know that most Bible scholars believe that a guy named David Um, And David was a very imperfect leader, but he was also described as a man after God's own heart. And David had all kinds of things in his life that didn't go right. And a lot of it was his fault. And many Bible scholars believe that he writes this chapter. Now, if you look at the top of your Bible, right above Psalm 42, there's uh, maybe words in italics that say, of the sons of Korah. Now, of the sons of Korah, they, they were worship leaders in Israel. And so this doesn't mean that they wrote this chapter. I do believe that they sang this chapter and that David writes it. It's written in the first person singular. It sounds like David. And even more than that, many Bible scholars believe that David writes this right after his third son, Absalom, rises up against him, trying to throw him off of his throne and take his place as king. In other words, David's own son tried to kill him. I think that qualifies as a bad day. I mean, you think you've got family issues. And this obviously caused David a lot of pain. And if you read through the Psalms, much of which David wrote, you'll notice that he struggled off and on through various seasons of his life with depression anyway. And so when this happened, I think that David 
uh, being moved by the Holy Spirit, he wrote down his experience in chapter 42 for a couple of reasons. Number one, David writes this stuff down to process what he is feeling. And that's key. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The second reason I think is that David writes this down to help those of us who would go through our own bouts with depression know how to navigate it back to a place of hope and healing. And so look with me at verse one. David writes these words that I think have oftentimes been misunderstood. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Now maybe that verse sounds familiar because for years it has been co-opted by uh, paintings in Christian bookstores or it's on the side of a coffee cup and it usually uh, is attached to a Uh, an image of some kind of a beautiful doe that's uh, drinking uh, crisp water out of a mountain stream as the wind blows through the trees. But when David writes these words, I don't think that's what he had in mind. I want you to get the image of a parched, emaciated deer that is on the verge of death. And David is saying, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And look at verse two, he says, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? In other words, God feels totally absent. I don't feel his presence at all. I try to talk to him, but it doesn't feel like anybody is there. I go to church or I tune into church and I hear the worship songs and I even try to sing them, but I don't feel a thing. Anybody ever been there? And maybe even you're there right now. And can I just look into the camera, whether you are here with us physically or joining us online. And if you're wrestling with depression and you don't feel the presence of God, but you showed up anyway, I just want to thank you for your courage. I want to thank you for bringing yourself just as you are to this place where God might speak some words of hope and healing into your life. Verse three, day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? If you've ever been in the throes of depression, uh, you might just have these uh, tears that just, you just break out and start crying and, and you don't even know why. And he says day and night, meaning this is relentless. It's never letting up. Now I want you to notice all of the verbs that are found in verse four. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. What's David doing? Well, David is saying, I remember doing all that. I remember I used to do all of those things, but not anymore. Happiness is just a memory for me. Somebody once define depression this way, a lethal absence of hope. I remember what it was like to be happy, but I don't think that I'll ever be happy again. Now look at verse five. David switches gears and he asks two very important questions. And if you joined us last week, this is where I left off. These questions right here. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Now, these are really important questions to ask because for many people, the emotional pain of depression is so great and we don't like pain 
that oftentimes what we will do is we will seek to uh, try to remove the pain without focusing on where the pain came from. We'll try to sweep it under the rug. We'll try to eliminate it. We'll try to numb it. We'll try to pretend that it's not there. Instead of asking, where did this come from? Why am I experiencing this pain? And this is so critical. Because if your first question is, how can I get rid of it without asking, why am I experiencing it? Then you'll just continue to deal with the symptom of the problem rather than the problem itself. Now, let me see if I can uh, try to illustrate this. If I go into the kitchen and there's a hot stove and I put my hand on it, I'm going to feel pain. And the pain isn't the problem. The pain is signaling that there is a problem. The pain is signaling that my hand isn't where it should be. Now, if my solution to that is to just pull out some sort of numbing medication, maybe in the form of a shot, and I just like, well, let me numb my hand so I don't feel the pain anymore, but I'm going to keep it right where it's at. That's not going to do me any good. In fact, that's just going to cause more damage. The same thing is true emotionally. Let me give you another analogy. Um, if the uh, check engine light comes on in your car on the dashboard, uh, that doesn't mean that you need to change the bulb inside the dashboard. If it comes on, that doesn't mean that you uh, take a piece of black uh, duct tape, like I may or may not have done when I was in college one time and I didn't have any money to fix it, and I just covered it with a piece of tape. Problem solved. I don't have to look at that anymore. Because the problem isn't the light on the dashboard. The problem is under the hood. So let me say it this way. Depression is the check engine light of the soul. It's indicating that there is something going on inside of you that you need to pay attention to. And this is why the question that David poses in verse 42 is, or verse five is so important. He says, why? Why am I experiencing this? And it's important that we do the same thing. So that way we are dealing with causes rather than just symptoms, roots rather than just fruits. Now, I want you to look back up to the top of chapter 42, right after where it says of the sons of Korah. You'll notice that there's another uh, Hebrew word there that yeah, you probably didn't know what it meant. It, it, it's the word maskel. And maskel is just a Hebrew word that means that this chapter was primarily meant to be used to teach, not just to inspire or to motivate, which is interesting because uh, the Psalms, there's 150 of them, uh, they are the prayer book of the Bible. And the Psalms have a lot of poetry. It's almost as if you're reading the psalmist's personal journal. And so much of the time, I just thought, well, the Psalms are there to inspire and to motivate me. And many of them are. But this one was meant to teach. Well, teach what? Well, teach those of us who are struggling with depression to know how to diagnose it and then how to navigate it. So that way we can come to a place of healing and hope. I want you to think of chapter 42, sort of like a, a checklist of sorts. And it lays out four potential causes of depression that, that I want to walk through if you're taking notes so that you or somebody that you know and love uh, can uh, discern, okay, where is this coming from? Why am I experiencing this? And that doesn't mean that you don't need maybe a, a professional help of some kind, whether that's a therapist, a counselor, or medication. I'm just saying that there are some things spiritually here that you can evaluate as well in conjunction with maybe the potential professional help. So notice again in verse three, 
He says, day and night, I have only tears for food. Translation, he isn't sleeping or eating. And if you haven't slept for a while, and if you haven't eaten for a while, then that is uh, gonna cause all kinds of havoc to your system. So number one, if you're taking notes, depression can be connected to something physical. Uh, I referenced this last week that uh, you and I are a whole person, right? Like, so you cannot uh, separate your emotional, spiritual, mental uh, uh, health from one another. Like all of those things go together. And if one of those is suffering, then it's gonna affect the rest of it. And one of the things that we see in this Psalm is that David says, I have some physical needs here that's actually causing some of the uh, symptoms of depression that I'm going through. How many of you have ever been hangry? Like, what is hangry? Well, well, hangry is, I am so hungry, I'm angry. It affects your mood. How many of you have ever had a date night totally ruined because you or both of you were hangry? And you got into a silly argument on the way to dinner and it just kind of ruined the whole evening. Now, now, what is hangry? Well, I haven't eaten. And so I, I'm going to get rude and impatient. And rudeness and impatience are spiritual, or you might even say like uh, relational issues, but it's triggered by a physical cause and therefore requires, at least in part, a physical response. We see an example of this uh, from a guy in the Old Testament named Elijah, and he faced a serious bout with depression. His story is found in 1 Kings, and Elijah is regarded as one of the most successful prophets in all of the Old Testament. In fact, God does some incredible things through Elijah. But despite all of that, he still wrestled with depression, uh, even thoughts of suicide. And in fact, in 1 Kings 18, he squares off with the false prophets of Baal. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, or if it's been a while, go back and read it later today. And uh, basically he just talks trash with all of these false prophets of Baal, just completely shows them up and embarrasses them and has this incredible victory. And ironically, right after this spiritual high, which is not uncommon, he goes through a bout with depression that just about did him in. And what triggered it was there was an evil queen by the name of Jezebel and she is not happy with his victory. So she uh, threatens his life. She says, uh, you're going to die within 24 hours. Not a very pleasant lady. Part of the reason why we don't name very many of our daughters Jezebel. All right. And so Elijah takes off and he runs a day into the wilderness. He lies down under a broom tree, totally exhausted in the grips of his depression. And he asks God to end his life. And God sends an angel. Now, if you didn't know anything about the story, what do you think God sent the angel to say? And there might be all the Christian answers to that. Well, God sent the angel to, to, to tell him that it'll be okay. You know, God sent the angel to tell him to pray more, read his Bible or, or, or whatever. He didn't say any of those things. Look at what happens. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him, proximity, and told him, get up and eat. I like this angel. And he, and he looked around and beside his head, was some bread baked on hot stones, a, a basket of warm bread. Can I get an amen in Jesus' name? All right, just, just slather some butter all over that. 
so spiritual, and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. There isn't one mention of Bible reading or prayer in that. He ate and he lay down again. Now the angel did that because he knew that Elijah's physical exhaustion had led him to emotional depression. And I know that you could probably resonate with this and so can I. In fact, um, uh, every week I know the times of the week when I am the most prone to feelings of depression. Now I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about just the, the feelings of depression. That's just kind of emotional and spiritual slump that you find yourself in. And for me, most weeks, it's like clockwork. It's Tuesday afternoon and Sunday afternoon. And the reason why Tuesday afternoon is because I've kind of gotten all my meetings done on Monday and Tuesday is just full on study and writing, preparing for the message for Sunday. And I try to get about 70% of the message done by the end of the day because I know that I got a whole bunch of other stuff to do during the rest of the week. And if I don't have at least 70% done, I'm behind. And I know that the discipleship team needs my notes and the production team needs my notes and I need time to really kind of marinate in it. And so by the, about, it's, it's probably about 3.30 on Tuesday afternoon when uh, the coffee's all worn off and I push back from my desk and I look at the computer screen and I'm just like, does this even make any sense? And at this, at this point, if it doesn't, like it's too late and I'm the worst preacher ever, I should just quit. And like all these like negative thoughts just kind of spin in my mind. The next time I know I'm prone to be depression is after I preach the sermon on Sunday afternoon. Usually it hits about 2.30 in the afternoon. And the adrenaline's worn off and I get up here and, and whether I like the material or not, I light myself on fire and try to be as passionate as I can. And then I have lots of emotional, spiritual conversations with people, praying for people. People have got heavy burdens and loads. And I go home and the adrenaline comes down right around 2.30 I start to feel a sense of spiritual depression. And it doesn't matter how good the day went, I'll get totally focused on the fact that I accidentally said fart at the nine o'clock service. <laughs> and I just keep thinking about that, ruminating on that. And I'm just so stupid. I know the emails are gonna come in. And here's the thing, my, my wife knows this about me. And so she'll just kind of check in on me. Like, hey, Aaron, how you doing? Men in my uh, group, they know this about me. And so they'll just kind of text me and they'll just be like, hey, uh, how, how's it going? Sometimes on Sunday afternoon, I just need to order a pizza and take a nap in Jesus' name. And you know what? And, and maybe some of you, maybe some of you do too. Sometimes the best thing that you could do, you, you probably never thought you'd hear a pastor say this, isn't to pray or read another Bible verse, but take a nap. Slow down, Sabbath, shut your phone off, shut the TV off, just be quiet for a minute, get a real good night's rest because depression can oftentimes be connected to something physical. Number two, if you're taking notes, depression can be connected to something emotional. Look on down at verse nine. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Now here's the question that I have for you. Do you think that God had actually forgotten him? No. Do you think that God was like, oh my goodness, David, I totally forgot you existed. No, God hadn't forgotten him, but it felt that way. And have you ever noticed that David's prayers in the Psalms are so honest and raw? I mentioned earlier that the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. There's 150 of them, which by the way, I've had a number of people come to me and say, you know, I just don't have very much confidence in prayer. I, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I feel really self-conscious. That's totally understandable. Just read the Psalms. Let the Psalms become your prayer life. Let the Psalms teach you how to pray. And one of the things that you'll notice right away is how raw they are. 
how real they are because God doesn't want you to put on a performance. God wants you just to bring who you are to the equation. Have you ever been around somebody that um, uh, totally talks normal until they start praying? And then it sounds like, sort of like King James. And they'll just talk normal and say, hey, let's pray. And then they start to pray and they're like, dear sweet heavenly Lord of hosts, we come to thee today thanking thine for thine bounty. And you're just like, did you hit your head? Like what? Like, why are you doing that? No, you just, you just need to be real. You just need to come to God as you are. Some of my most favorite conversations are with people that are uh, new to faith or uh, prior to faith. And maybe they've been t- tuning in, showing up, and I'll bump into them in the lobby or maybe out of the store. And, and they'll walk up to me and they'll go, oh, pastor, man, last week, that was a hell of a sermon. And they're like, <gasps> and they're like oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. And, and it's like, I love that. Now listen to me, not because of the profanity. God will clean all that up later. I love it because of the honesty. You're just bringing God who you are. You're just bringing your heart to him just as you are. I don't know where we got this idea that it needs to be a performance or all cleaned up. See, many of the Psalms are not cheery. 50 of the 150, that's a third of them, would be labeled what we might call Psalms of Lament. That's the psalmist pouring out how he feels, even if what he feels isn't true. So he says things like, God, it feels like you've forgotten me. God, it feels better not to follow you than to follow you. And then there is a subset of those Psalms of Lament. They get especially spicy. They're called the imprecatory Psalms. And this is David just venting. He's holding nothing back. He's just getting loose in his tongue. And and one time he even says this. He goes, blessed are they who dash your children against the rocks. You're like, whoa, David. I think you just took it a little bit too far. But God seems okay to include it in there. Why? Why is the Bible so raw in its prayers? Well, there's a reason why. It's because God wants you to be real. And many times we, we fake it or we pretend because um, sadness or depression, like it's just so uncomfortable. And we want to avoid all those things that are really, really messy. But um, even though sadness is uncomfortable, it's helpful. And God has given uh, every one of our emotions to serve a purpose within us. One of our family's favorite Pixar movies is that little movie that came out about six years ago called uh, Inside Out. And if you're not familiar with the storyline, I'll just kind of give you enough not to ruin it, but just kind of kind of tell you what it's about. Um, it's about this little girl named Riley who moves with her mom and dad to a brand new city. And she's kind of going through all the emotions that we all do whenever you go through a big life change like that. And there are five emotions running around inside Riley's mind. Anger, fear, disgust, joy, and sadness. And the whole movie is about uh, Joy, who kind of seems to be sort of running the show. And she's trying to manage the other emotions, particularly sadness. And she's like, sadness, don't mess everything up. And sadness, uh, don't touch any of the memories, especially the core ones. And uh, ironically, by Joy trying to manage sadness, she just creates a bigger mess of things. And she spends the whole movie trying to clean it up. And only do things get better when Joy realizes that that, uh, sadness was absolutely necessary for Riley. And only then do things get better for her. See, sadness gives us the gift of acceptance. You see, you cannot accept a loss 
until you have grieved it. I shared with you last week, if you tuned in or, or joined us, that uh, last summer I, I kind of went through just a series of anxiety attacks. And I, I'm sort of a, an achiever and a helper and those things kind of went dark. And it wasn't until I realized that I wasn't going to achieve my way through the crisis until I grieved my way through the crisis. And I know there's somebody that needs to hear that today. See, I had the muscle to achieve. I needed to develop the muscle to grieve. And when you experience a loss, a trauma, or an abuse, listen to me, you don't get over it. Somebody might have meant well when they said that to you. Somebody may have said, hey, just get over it. And they caused more damage than they even realized. You don't get over it. You grieve through it. And until you grieve a loss, you get frozen in time and you'll spend the rest of your life responding to some sort of trauma, loss, abuse, or pain that happened a long time ago. Let me say it another way. Depression is often suppressed grief trying to force its way out. And with grief, you only have three choices. You can repress it. What's that look like? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm okay. I'll get over it. You can suppress it. Well, I'm just not going to think about it. Choose joy. Or you can do what the Bible does. Specifically in the Psalms. You can express it. You see, if a loss doesn't come out forwards in your life through grief, it will eventually come out sideways in your life through depression. And so we express it. You, you express it maybe with a professional uh, help, a therapist or a counselor. You uh, express it with your spouse or your kids. You express it with a friend or somebody in your group. You express it to God through honest prayer and conversation. Be as honest as the Bible is. Why? Well, because God wants a relationship with you. And because of that, he wants real prayers, not right ones. Number three, depression can be connected to something relational. Look at me in verse four. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers. In other words, what David is saying here is he's been cut off from the community of God. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some uh, good theology and then show you how that uh, good theology always backs that up. See, the Bible says that you and I were created in the image of God. And he has existed throughout time in the form of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, mo most of the time we try to get our heads around that and say, well, how does that work? And we're sort of missing the point. What we need to understand from that is that you and I were created within the image of a community. God is a we, not just a me. Therefore, you and I were designed uh, to live as an us, not just an I. And in isolation, extended isolation, eventually the check engine light will come on in your soul. A few months ago, uh, Gallup released this poll and they were monitoring the mental health from various population segments in America from 2019 to 2020. And what they found, unsurprisingly, is that every single group of people that they looked at had worse mental health from 2019 to 2020, regardless of ethnicity, age, political affiliation, or income. In other words, everybody's mental health was down for the exception of one category. Can you guess what it might have been? 
people who attend church weekly. They were the only category that was up. In fact, what I want you to notice is right under weekly, it says nearly weekly or monthly, which the average uh, committed Christ follower will say, I'm talking average, will say that they attend church 1.7 times a month prior to the pandemic. My guess is that it's now once a month, if that. So nearly weekly or monthly, negative 12. But if you came every week, positive four. Listen to me, that's just sociology. Please don't ever tell me that the church is non-essential ever again. See, the only people who fared better were people that engaged on a weekly basis. You realize what that means? Everything last year in our nation that was bad was up. Divorce was up, addiction, anxiety, division, suicide, all up as soon as the church went down and we couldn't gather anymore. And this is why I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna continue to encourage you to engage, whether physically or online. Now, I want you to hear my heart. I shared a little bit of this last week, just some of my, uh, the pros and cons with kind of where we're at right now as a church family. And moving forward, we will be 100% physical and 100% digital. That's just kind of where we are. That's where we were already headed. The crisis has just accelerated it. But I wanna say this and listen to me, hear my heart. Those of you that cannot uh, join us physically right now for whatever reason, you've got a preexisting condition, you're caring for somebody who is, you're just not comfortable yet returning. Please know there's no judgment. We love you, we support you. We'll always be here for you online. But, but there's others of you. I just wanna say this very kindly. You're using it as an excuse. And maybe you're, you're out at the gym every day and you're at Costco and you're uh, living it up at the restaurants, but you haven't come back to church yet. And I just wanna urge you lovingly to come back. In fact, uh, it's noticeably fuller uh, at all of our campuses this weekend. I talked to three people this week, said our first time back since March uh, and we're beginning to come back because I think that the risk of non-attendance will eventually catch up with uh, the risk of attendance if we stay disconnected. So, so listen to me, if you're still joining us online and, and some of you, uh, you have no other option because you don't live in Indy. I know we've got people that all over the world that are tuning in online. Can I just urge you to not have this going on in the background because I do not want to be Christian Netflix. All right. And uh, this is not about just producing uh, spiritual content for you to consume as a consumer. We are not trying to grow a bigger church or a bigger audience. We're trying to make disciples, which by the way, is extremely difficult. Uh, Jesus himself had a hard time doing it because the 12 guys that followed him around, they didn't exactly get it either. But that's what we're after. And as much as it pains me to say this, because I work so hard on it, a sermon isn't going to disciple you. It'll help but it's not gonna make you more like Jesus. Uh, a program isn't gonna disciple you. Showing up and sitting in a seat by yourself in a room and just kind of taking all this in isn't gonna disciple you. Watching in your living room isn't gonna disciple you. It is only until you get life on life. Until you get real with people. And until you begin to walk with people and you get in it, groups are not an extracurricular. They are the very core, the backbone, the backbone of what we do. Our, our goal is to get 100% of you that are in, in a group. Uh, and not, not for us, but, but for you. I, I'm in a group. And can I tell you that it's refreshing to be able just to kind of take off the mask and go, hey guys, here's what I'm struggling with. And yet these guys, they love me. They receive me. They give me grace. They speak truth into my life. They don't just say, oh, that's okay. They, they hold me accountable. And yet they love me enough. They'll still listen to me preach on Sunday. 
And they know all the junk I got going on in my life. And listen, you need that too. James 5 says, confess your sins and struggles. Why? So that others can kind of have a leg up on you? No, so that you can be healed. And so we need that. Listen, sins and struggles are like fungus. They grow in the darkness and they die in the light. The next, depression can be connected to something mental. Last week, as we looked at the prophet Jeremiah, we talked about ruminating. And ruminating is when you get fixated on a negative thought. It's all this negative self-talk and you just spin and spin and spin on it. And what might happen in depression is that you get focused on something. It's like tunnel vision. Somebody once said this, that when it comes to uh, depression, you don't see things as they are. You see things as you are. You have a tendency to see thing, everything through the lens of your depression. And it is not passive. It is active. And it starts speaking to you. And here's what I mean. The momentum of a few true negative things can lead you to a dangerously false conclusion. And we see this uh, pattern in Psalm 42. David did this. David says, I've been cut off from the land of my youth. True. I lost the position I used to have. True. My enemies mock me day and night. True. God has forgotten me. False. Elijah did the exact same thing in 1 Kings. Twice God asked him, why are you depressed? And twice he responds with a mixture of truth and untruth. Elijah says, God, I've been passionately committed to you. True. The Israelites have rejected you. True. They have killed your prophets. True. I am the only faithful one left. False. You see, the momentum of a few true things in his depression led him to a dangerously false conclusion. He wasn't the only faithful one left. In fact, God corrects that right away. He goes, Elijah, there are 7,000 people in Israel who haven't bowed to Baal. You're not alone. Not only that, but at the end of the next chapter, God is going to raise up another prophet, a guy by the name of Elisha, and he's going to give him a double portion of Elijah's power, meaning the future of Israel would be greater than its past. And Elijah couldn't see it because of his depression. And maybe you can't either. Even greater than Elisha. 800 years after Elijah's bout with depression, God would raise up the greatest prophet of all time, the goat, Jesus Christ, who would speak truth to people, freeing them from half-truths, twisted truths, and full-on lies planted into our minds by an enemy with a name. His name is Satan and he's very real. And your depression might be doing some of the same things to you. Mixing a few true negative things in an effort to lead you to a dangerously false conclusion. And maybe right now your depression is saying things like this in your head. This has been an extremely hard year. True. I've made some mistakes and errors in judgment. True. I've uh, started up some old addictions. I've developed some new ones. True. People can sometimes be so challenging to deal with and divisive. True. This will never get any better. This is our new normal. False. My spouse will never change. False. The job's never gonna come back. False. Nobody likes me. False. I'll never be happy. False. Satan is the great deceiver. And he often uses depression to deceive us. And the momentum of a few 
true negative things might lead you to a dangerously false conclusion. So what do you need to do? Well, this is why we need the message of the cross. The message of the cross breaks up the momentum of the falsehoods that are running through your mind. That's why I love what David does in verse 11. He interrupts his depression. Did you notice that? Go back and read chapter 42 later when we're done. He interrupts it and he starts, he starts speaking to it. And he goes, hey, listen, you've been preaching to me. Now I need you to sit down. I'm gonna start preaching to you. And in verse 11, he says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Now, do you think David felt that just yet? Likely not but he knew it to be true. And so he rehearsed it to break up the momentum of the negative things running through his mind. Listen to me, uh, in addition to potentially some professional help, you've got to talk back to your depression. You've got to do it like you would speak to a verbally abusive person in an argument. You go, hey, you're being loud. I'm gonna be louder. I'm gonna shout you down. Because in this Psalm, David looks back at the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Miser. In other words, he looks back. Those were symbolic of the tremendous faithfulness of God in his past. And he said, God, because you've been faithful in my past, I can have hope for the future. Here's the great news for us. We have a far better mountain to look back on. The mountain is called Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus died on a cross. And you say to yourself, I am not alone. Gethsemane shows me that. And there is someone who cares. The cross proves that. And my future is not dim. The resurrection declares that. And that is why we gather every seven days to remind us of those truths, to rehearse those truths, even when we don't feel like it, to break up the momentum of all the negative stuff that we experience all throughout the week. And we are reminded of God's glory and his truth. And we're talking back to our struggles, our sins and our setbacks with the freeing truth of God's grace. And that's what we're gonna do right now as we sing this song. These are not performers on stage. These are fellow strugglers leading us back to the truths that we need to be reminded of that break up the momentum of the negative things we rehearse in our minds. So even if you don't feel it just yet, you sing it. You hold on to it for dear life. And you say, I, I, I need this. And right now, if you're with us or joining us online and you don't have this, you can have it today. And listen, you, maybe you're recovering from a bad church experience. Maybe religion has not been your thing and that, that's, you're in good company. Religion's not our thing either. Religion isn't about you trying to get to God. What God offers is, he said, I've already sent my son to you. And so you just come to me right as you are. Well, I have some questions that I don't have answers to. Perfect, Jesus has the answers. Well, man, I, I got some stuff in my life that's really cruddy and messed up. Perfect, Jesus doesn't wait for you to clean the cup. He says, hey, give it to me and I'll clean it. And you come to Jesus just as you are. And today you can step across that line of faith and faith implies you don't have it all figured out. You don't have all the answers. And you say, Jesus, I just trust you completely. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, 
You can text Jesus to 87221 and our team will follow up with you to talk with you just right where you're at and to help you discern what your next steps are. For some of you, you need to be baptized. You've been putting it off. You've been putting it off because of the pandemic. You were gonna be baptized last March and then the pandemic hit. You still haven't been baptized. You need to do it. Some of you today, like you just need to place your faith in Jesus. Some of you today, you got, you know what? I've drifted away from church. I, I've, been, I've been one of those statistics and I need to come back. I need to re-engage online. I need to get into a group. I need to come back physically. Whatever move that is, can you just take the next moment to just discern what is it that God is specifically and tangibly and practically calling you to do with what you've heard? It's active, it's not passive. Father, we come to you right now. So grateful that your word is inspiring and motivating for sure, but it also teaches us, it's practical. And so today, God, I pray that for those of us in the throes of depression, or if we uh, love somebody who is wrestling with this, that we might know how to discern what is maybe causing it. So that way we know the way forward with compassion, mercy, and grace. And so we just wanna lean on you. And we want the message of the cross to break up the momentum of the negative things that are fed into our minds on a daily basis right now. So God, I pray that your church would arise from the ashes of 2020, that it would come back stronger and more resilient than what Satan meant for bad. You would turn it for good and you would propel the cause of the kingdom of God forward, that we would be stronger as a church family, not weaker, that our better days would be ahead of us, not behind us because of the cross and what Jesus has done. May we cling to that hope, God. And so meet us right now, in this auditorium or in this living room or in the car that we're in or the backyard we're sitting in. And I pray that we would have an encounter with you as we rehearse what we know to be true about who we are, about who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And if you agree with me, say amen.